Hey, welcome to Dot Grid, a show at the. Well, I guess it's more, really more <laughs> of a podcast. I'm going to start that from the beginning. Blah. <clears throat> Hey, welcome to Dot Grid, a podcast at the intersection of the analog tools you love and the digital tools you, uh, well, you're probably using to listen to podcasts. My name is Will Fengi. I am one of your hosts. One of means there's more than one of me. The other more than one of me is my creepy Californian doppelganger, Mr. Andy Welfley. Andy, how are you? I'm good, although I have to say I listen to my podcast on vinyl. So well, Of course. Well, you work for Facebook, and and you'll have to share with our listeners the most hipster sentence ever here in just a second, but you know, someone as as hipstery as you would listen to your podcast on vinyl. Um, <laughs> you shared with me in the pre-show that you are now, uh, I don't know, the, the recipient of, not recipient, but you are now able to claim uh, the title I wrote, of I wrote the having, most hipster sentence ever. You which, did, and it's a true hipster sentence. Which is the barista at the coffee cart on the roof of my office uh, listens to my pencil podcast. Yes, which is a wonderful <laughs> podcast. Did you did you ask him? Did you like pitch it to him, or did he go, "Oh my God, you're Andy Wellfley"? We talked about. I can't even remember why. I th- we talked about pencils a while ago. I think it's because I was like holding a Blackwing, and he recognized it. And I told him that I had a pencil podcast, and we didn't really talk about it more than that. I think I may have told him the name of it, uh, but that was last week. And this week, I came back, and he was like, "Hey, that was a great podcast. I loved the one about moleskins," and. I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. He he went out and found it and listened to it. You recruited a listener. <laughs> good job. You increased – well, you guys are doing really good with numbers over there. So I was going to say you increased your by something such percentage, but it doesn't even register. You guys are – We got the uh, San Francisco coffee shop um, listeners rooftop, demographic. Rooftop, rooftop coffee, coffee shop. shop demographic mm-hmm. nailed down. Well, that's – at least you're identifying your audience. <laughs> Oh, well, I am excited about this week for two reasons. Uh, first and foremost, we get to announce the winners of our Baron Fig giveaway, which uh, had a great turnout. I was really happy to see everybody talking about why it's important to invest in high-quality products like uh, like a Baron Fig notebook. So we get to announce the winners to those and and Andy Welfley. And? Oh, I guess, well, three reasons. Um, also, we uh, have our first sponsor, which is a company that you and I are both big fans of that we believe in. We'll be able to tell you a little bit more about them here in a minute. But the big thing that will come up here as soon as you and I get done bantering back and forth about your coffee shop habits is I got the chance to sit down today with Mike Rohde. He of uh, the Sketchnote workbook and the uh, Sketchnote handbook and the Sketchnote army and the Sketchnote militia. And the He's the Sketchnote guy. He is. He's the head of the Sketchnote Empire. And I tell you, I have not met a nicer person via the internet since I met you is the right thing to say, (laughs) I guess. No, he and I got the chance to sit down and talk a little bit today. Um, Technology be damned. We sat and chatted for about 30 or 45 minutes. I I got to meet his son. I got to uh, see where he's sleeping for the next couple of days. That came out really creepy. (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't actually see where he's sleeping. We recorded in the the business center. That's what they're calling them now, the business center of the hotel where he is. He's here in town in the Nashville area. Because he is going to be at the Skillery, which is currently a co-working space and a continuing education, adult-style classes kind of place where they, you know, my wife is taking 
like calligraphy and sewing classes and stuff like that there. He is actually teaching, and I did not know this, his first publicly available course on sketchnoting. Hmm. I was it's, under the impression he'd been doing that for a while. It's amazing to me that you can teach something like that because I have tried sketchnoting and I – just can't make my brain do that. Like, no, I can uh, doodle or I can take notes, but I cannot sort of like meld the two of them. No, I and I think it would appeal a great deal to kind of the younger demographic because I see my students being able to multitask and do many things at once between listening to music and and writing or their their attention's always a couple of different places. But no, I can't do it, and it's not just because I can't draw a straight line without a ruler. It's I just I don't have the concentration to be able to take in what people are saying and be able to put it out in anything that I feel like I'm missing something. He was on. Um, I don't know. I have not yet heard the the interview, but. Um, he was on Command Space back when Mike Hurley was at 5x5 Five Five talking about sketchnoting, and, and they talked a lot about doodling and how uh, when teachers sort of like crack down on students trying to doodle while, they, um, while they're listening, while they're, they're listening to a lecture, um, that's actually kind of a bad thing to do because you are exercising the part of your brain that processes, um, processes speech and, and pictures. Uh, while you doodle. So if you doodle and just sort of listen passively to a lecture, you have better retention rates. Uh, I, I don't stop my kids from doodling because, again, A, you got to pick your battles. Yeah. And B, I mean, I, I not only do I agree with that, I don't know what they're doodling. I don't know if they're drifting off and they're thinking about it or if they're thinking about the thing that that girl said to them in the hallway 20 minutes ago. I mean, like not, not my issue, but now that I have, you know, the scientific proof to back it up. Uh, and... In small draw, world. Go ahead. I was going to say I used to draw spaceships back when uh, when I was in class listening to lecture. I used to doodle spaceships and little like aliens. I did UFOs like the the um, round ones, like the nineteen fifty uh, style UFOs. Yeah, like a big somehow I just ended up drawing that kind of oval. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say in you know in small world podcast giveaway guest sort of synergy that's a great word synergy <laughs> use that at parties and press your friends uh mike was actually one of the guests along with joey from baron fig uh and the gentleman the one of the gentlemen that does the dry erase notebook style thing you've heard and seen of this i think oh yeah, yeah. i think yeah I, they yeah. were they were all on Pencil versus Pixel this past week hmm. um, as guests talking about what makes a good notebook and what makes good note-taking and things like that. So we have a Baron Fig giveaway. We have Mike Rohde, and we're on a podcast. Nice. I have to listen for that. I, I've never heard Joey's fa- uh, voice, so I would like to – I've never heard his face. I would love to try to see you try to hear his face. Yeah. That would be a wonderful thing. If you get a chance to go to New York, you should definitely try to uh, get set up with them too. You can go see uh, Miss – is it Weaver or am I going to – Yep, Caroline Weaver. Yeah. Good. I was thought I was going to pull a Johnny and get her name wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can go see Ms. Weaver and you can go see Joey and – Oh, I definitely we're, – we're trying to nail down the date for that trip. So I, I definitely have a large list of people I want to meet. Okay, you're going to probably do a little bit of work and a lot of meeting and visiting and <laughs> – it, it's okay. It's networking for Facebook. Yeah. If you you're yeah. just spreading the word That's about this little startup based out there in uh, maybe they in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Good for you, man. Just taking it to the streets with for the people <laughs> and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, so I got a chance to sit down and talk with him, uh, which we want to give you an ample opportunity to listen to after this. But we need to take care of some business first. Um, let's talk about some winners. 
because all of our listeners are winners, Andy. Uh, absolutely. So, They're all winners. They're all family. We all love them immensely. So last week we had a, um, a giveaway contest. Um, we have uh, two – I can't remember. What is it again? Two Baron Figs. Um, a, two Baron Figs and two a, packs of confidants. Yes, yes. Or apprentices. Apprentices. Sorry. <laughs> so it's uh, – yeah. So we have a confident notebook each and then two packs of apprentices. Printed parentheses, parentheses? Parentheses? Two packs of parentheses. Two packs <laughs> um, of pocket notebooks. Yes, that one. And um, two wonderfully sized notebooks. I've been using mine for about two weeks now, and it is the – I don't know. It's it's contagious. It's the only thing I want to write in. Yeah, which is awesome. Um, yeah, they talk about how quality, how high quality they are, and it was – opening mine was like opening a Christmas gift. Mm-hmm. Like my hands were shaking a little bit, and I was like, I don't know. I, I come from the baseball card collecting generation, and you know the things are worth so much more if they stay sealed up. And that, uh, That's I'm, exactly the impulse I fight with field notes. Oh, gosh. I'm yeah. sitting here staring at mine. I reorganized my desk so that my, I have the container that I keep them in being used as a monitor stand now. Mm-hmm. So I bump my monitor up, and now I, I get to look at slash stare at slash drool over all of my um, – do we call them K-Hears? Is that what we're calling them? K-hears? I don't know. Kayes is what Johnny calls them. Yeah, my small, about approximately three by five or three and a half by five and a half notebooks are all here. I've got the ones you sent me. I've got some, I got a whole bunch of field notes, of course. I got some of the uh, banded apple carnets in here, which I'm going to talk about again in just a minute. I got some of the ones. Don't you mean bandy tapple? Bandy, bandy tapple. Andy (laughs) Welfley, bandy tapple. Uh, I I don't know. Now we have to put a link to that podcast in the show notes. Every time I see bandy tapple. I or every t- every time I see Bandit Apple in my head, I just say Bandit Apple. I just can't help it. I just it can't unsee smile. that. Yeah. So it we makes have me t- smile when I hear it. We have two winners of that giveaway. Thank you, Baron Fig. Thank you, um, Baron Fig. Thank you, Random Number Generator. We uh, we did the super scientific method of taking the tweets that uh, people made to us and to Baron Fig, talking about why they like to invest in quality equipment. Um, we assigned them numbers and ran them through a numbers the random number generator. Uh, we came up with Daniel Taub, T-A-U-B, uh, who said, One is likely to continue enjoying a well-made item long after the initial outlay is forgotten, which is very well said. It's very, very much true, and it speaks to high-quality, high high-dollar things and high-quality, a uh, little bit less expensive things, because if it lasts for a long time, does it really matter what you pay for it? Absolutely. Um, and then the other one is Cameron Bardell. Uh, who says the reason I invest in high quality products is that I believe that the tools you use show much how show how much you care, which is very true. Um, a lot of intentionality goes into picking your tools if you really care about it. Um, there's some other good ones too. I'm just going to go through the list here and read some of my favorite. A lot of rhyming. Yeah, some of the ones that we got this time. Yeah, uh, Nathan Stone, buy once, cry once, buy quality gear and enjoy the little things in life. That was a good uh, one. Completely agree with that. Buy it nice or buy it twice. I think that was my favorite. Yeah, that's that's a good one. That one kind of yeah. gets stuck in your head. Uh, buy quality because it allows those people to con- to continue making things we love. Well, yeah, that's that speaks to small business. Mark DeFilippo, De I completely agree with you. Yeah, um, uh, Father Kyle Sanders, who is a also a faithful. Um, Erasable listener says you buy quality products for durability and sustainability. Most of all, because they are quality. Quality equals good, which is pretty uh, well said. And Brian Hawk, I buy quality products because not only do they last, my enjoyment increases the longer I use them. I bond with them. I am I completely um, empathize with that. Like I'm I'm already sad that I'm five or six or seven pages into this Baron Fig notebook because I'm like, oh, I don't I don't want to finish it. It's so wonderful. I guess I'll just have to buy another. One. <laughs> 
Dirk Walker, who's a friend of mine from back in Fort Wayne, says that he invests in quality products, especially notebooks, because I take them everywhere and need something durable, which Absolutely. is true. If you buy those 10-cent uh, notebooks from Target during back-to-school time, they will uh, disintegrate in, t- in your bag, which I speak from experience. It happens to my students all the time. They'll go to take something out of their – they'll go to take something out of their backpack and they'll just start pulling out loose sheets of paper. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what is going on? Well, I, I had a notebook, but uh, someone played soccer with my backpack on the bus and I was like, well, that's probably not the best way to go about that. <laughs> so um, um, Daniel and Cameron, we will reach out to you after the um, podcast is released, which I guess if you're hearing this, the podcast has been released. Right. Uh, you so we'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We will uh, We'll be um, sending direct messages to you. Hopefully you follow us. If you don't follow us, now would be a good time to do that. Now, as a matter of fact, if you have friends or family that don't follow us, that would like to follow us or that you can get a hold of their phone and just add Twitter followers for them, maybe you should do that. Um, we enjoy the – I enjoy interacting with a lot of our listeners on social media. I have recently gotten myself back into Instagram, which is a weird thing to say because <laughs> it makes me sound old. Oh, I'm into the Instagrams now. But I moved back over to my personal account and I've uh, – not only did I have a lot of people follow me uh, and from – that had been following me on the Nerd Uprising side, which was nice to see. I've been getting a lot more positive feedback, especially from some friends that I forgot had – that weren't apparently following me on the Nerd Uprising Instagram, which is kind of hurtful. <laughs> um, but yeah. Are Andy they really are, friends? Are they really friends? <sighs> Well, one of them lives in San Francisco, so I should come out there and and hassle her when I come out there to see my other San Franciscan friends. Absolutely. San Franciscan's the word, isn't it? I think so. I'm technically, I guess, a San Mateoan. Mateoan? San, I, I think it's San Mateoan. I don't area. know. It's, Bay Area. Ease. Uh, we do a lot of a lot of wordplay here on this show. Oh, we yeah. haven't done a we haven't done a this week in Teen Speak in a while. We'll have to put that off to the next episode because that takes a lot of pre work on I, our part. I just learned today a really really good word that I'm. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I was reading this uh, article about um, language, and uh, you know about how like oh let's say you would say hey those Baron Fig notebooks are really good quality, and I would be like no totally. I completely agree with to that. Me, yeah, me, you would to say me, yes. no totally. And yeah, I, you'd say I, no totally because you're you're a child of the '90s, like I am. Yeah. So the New Yorker had a had a story about uh, why, how how it is that no means yes. Um, oh, that's a great article. And they came in. They came up with a really good. I'll have a link for this in show notes. They came up with a really good word. Um, oh, I'm trying to find it. I don't want to just be one of those shows where just just somebody's scrolling. Um, okay, then I'll sing a song. No, 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 no. Here we go. Okay. You know what? I'll tell everyone where show notes are. Okay, you do that while Z- I find this word. They're at nerduprising.co slash dot grid slash seven. That's nerduprising.co slash dot grid slash seven. There'll be the link that Andy is working so diligently to find for you, along with uh, links to anything else that we may or may not have mentioned here in the show. Maybe we'll just put in some links to random YouTube videos that we enjoy, uh, more GIF stuff. Speaking of GIFs, we got a lot of positive feedback about your uh, your fantasy episode. Oh, man. It was uh, it was fun. It was super geeky. I, I hate listening to myself talk, so I have not listened to it again. Um, I don't. I don't even think I can handle it. But, but your voice is so sultry and romantic. Oh yes. Okay. Here's the word: holophrasm or holophrasm. P h r a s m. H o l o p h r a s m. It's a word that can serve as a complete sentence. Uh, for example, no is a complete sentence, or go, or help, or run, or sit, or sit. Uh, those are holophrasms. Phrasems. Ho- holophrasms, or yeah. as I call them, one-word imperative sentences. 
There you go. I would call them that because did, I'm an English teacher. Did you know that that's what that was a word for them? Never heard of that. I tell you, I'm learning all sorts of new things this year. Um, Octothorpe, holophrasm, cashtag, all of these things are <laughs> all of these things are new for me. Pretty good um, word. Speaking of cashtag, that's still out there. Cash.me slash cashtag nerd uprising. Uh, thank you to those of you that have sent your um, dollars and couple of dollars and uh, it in. We are now professional podcasters, Andy Wuffley. We've made money. Oh, yeah. So much um, So we're, we're happy about that. Speaking of money, we had the opportunity this week to um, have a sponsor, which makes me very, very happy um, because I, I like sponsors. More importantly, I really like this business. Uh, I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, our episode this week is actually sponsored by a, a friend of the show, uh, a shop that you've heard Andy and I talk about before. Our sponsor this week is Notegeist. Heck yeah. Uh, Notegeist is your online destination for a notebook and journal needs. You'll find a wide range of stationary choices in the shop, all handpicked for quality and value by Gary Notegeist's proprietor. He's active in within the dot grid community, active in the, uh, Active in the Erasable. Erasable. That's the other podcast that you do. Yeah, and we're you and I are both big fans of what Gary's doing in his shop. He's doing a lot of great things with notebooks. He had some really cool pencils in there for a while. Uh, I actually think I've spent the majority of my supply budget <laughs> over at Notegeist in the past few months. I know I bought multiple Christmas gifts there. <laughs> uh, Notegeist has a great selection of notebooks and journals from Word, Write Notepads, Palomino, and Blackwing. Uh, they carry CR notebook wallets for those of you who think you might uh, want a little bit of lightweight carry for cash and a few cards inside with your convenient uh, inside a convenient notebook so you can carry your cards and your cash and your you know your field notes or your cahier in in one of these wallets. Uh, Notegeist also has and you and I are big fans of this. Also has one of the largest and most varied selections of field notes brand notebooks, including a uh, a pretty spectacular selection of some of those older, harder to find collectible packs and singles. So if you're looking for one in particular and you haven't been able to find it anywhere else. There's a pretty good chance that Gary might have it over at the Note Guys shop. Just this past week, Note Guys actually stocked up on a few new products, which worked out very conveniently for them, worked out very conveniently for us, because Dot Grid listeners get to be the first people to hear about this in what I believe is an, an auditory setting. They may be the first, you guys might be the first people to know about it at all. Um, he's carrying the uh, Bandit Apple or Bandit Apple Carnets in a few different styles and sizes. Uh, arriving just in time for us and for this show is actually a brand new um, notebook and journal line from Paper O that has everyday notebooks that are inspired by innovation and simplicity. I haven't heard um, of them. No, I haven't heard of Paper O either, but they also have something you have heard of, um, some of these super beautiful uh, paper blanks notebooks. Oh, yeah. What do you yeah. know about paper blanks? Um, they're great. They're, um, if ever you've been to Barnes & Noble and you've seen those super ornate looking um, notebooks kind of with the moleskins. Um, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they're, they're really nice. They usually have like a magnet clasp on them. Johnny Gamber likes them a lot. I, yeah, they're, they're really cool. They, they don't just have those kind of like fancy ornate ones if you're not a super fancy person like Johnny. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, they have some other good sizes too, but I, I love that magnet clasp they have. Yeah, well, that's, it's just another, uh, just another testament to uh, the, the wide variety of stuff. And uh, not Andy, Gary Scott over there <laughs> at Notegeist. Um, as a special thank you to our loyal dot grid listeners, we worked it out with Gary so that if you place a Notegeist order in April, so during the month, and you enter the coupon code dot grid PC, D O T G R I D P as in Paul, C as in cat, dot grid PC, is, not only, go ahead. What does the PC stand for? PC means for pretty. Podcast. 
po- it does stand for podcast. <laughs> I just got that. Yeah, Dockgrid PC for podcast. Not only if you enter that coupon code, not only will you get a shipping discount within the United States, which is awesome and well worth the coupon code anyway, you will also get – are you ready for this? Andy um, Wilfley. I am ready. If you place a No Guys to Order in April, which I am going to do probably directly after this podcast is over and after every one of our listeners gets done listening to it, so I imagine I'm going to be in hock up to Gary, up to my nose. Uh, not only will you get a shipping discount, he will also send you a free random field notes notebook. Hmm. So A random one. Just a random so one. So it could I, be like a Butcher Blue one. You just never know. You never know. He's got a massive selection stockpiled over there. You and I know this. He's very active in Field Nuts, trying to make sure he's got a wide variety and a really good selection. Um, the free Field Notes is reason enough to order from Gary, but the discounted shipping is a sweet bonus on top of that. So um, when you're ready for your next notebook or journal, make sure you're checking out noteguys.com to get those notebooks and journals to capture life moments. Uh, notebooks and journals to capture life's moments. I like that. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know if quaint's the right word. My wife will tell me later. That's the word that I always get. Um, I always get, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> uh, but that's, no, that's a great line. If you uh, make sure to check out noteguys.com to get those notebooks and journals to capture life's moments. That is N O T E G E I S T.com. N O T E G E I S T.com. Notegeist. Um, our thanks to Notegeist for supporting Dot Grid and the Nerd Uprising Network. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, everybody else over at Notegeist, which I think is Gary. It's Gary. Thank you, Gary. We're, yeah, thanks, Gary. Uh, he does a lot, you know, and I. I say they and I say the people over at because that Gary's a hard working dude. Uh, yeah, he uh he does the work of three people. I think it's uh I think his girlfriend is involved in it somehow too, but I don't I don't want to I don't want to presume. Right. Well I I know that every order I've placed with him has always come with um a personalized note f- with his signature on it and and a thanks. Um he Tossed in a couple of note cards for me once because he heard me mention on one of the forums that uh, we go back and forth in. It was probably the Erasable Podcast. Uh, yeah, he's really Facebook a- group. He's really active in that group. He's really active in the Field Nuts group. Um, he's pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. He's a he's a busy guy. He's a busy guy, and he's a, a great business owner, and we're really glad that we had the opportunity to work with Notegeist uh, as our first sponsor, and hopefully as a recurring sponsor. Um, I was actually speaking of Gary when I was talking to Mike today. We uh, we came up with because I told him that uh, I was going to have to pause in the middle of the interview so that we could talk about Note Guys for a minute. Uh, and I told him that Gary was the guy that runs Note Guys, and he goes, "I think I know. Uh, I think I know Gary Varner." I said, "Really?" He goes, "Oh my gosh, I think I know Gary from back in my Palm days." Which <laughs> I don't know if you know that Mike was a big Palm guy back in the the mid nineties. He <laughs> did Palm Tip Sheet for a little while and we talk about that uh, a little bit in the interview but yeah he apparently he thinks that maybe Gary had an, an app and I could be wrong I haven't talked to Gary about his his palm background but yeah so there's a little bit of a connection there we're all a family it's a uh, boy that's a that's a true dot gritter right there he uh Mike worked for palm well he didn't work for palm necessarily but he had a a thing with palm and now he's he has a thing with like sketch notes that's that's amazing yeah, well, he's got the thing with sketch notes. Um, he actually uh, did a partnership with Molskin a little while, uh, I think two years ago mm-hmm. at South by Southwest. We talk about that a little bit in the yeah, interview. That's cool. Um, yeah, you know, I, just, I, I never had a Palm, but I had a. Do you remember the handspring? It was. Yeah. It used the Palm OS, and I worked at Best Buy in, in high school, so I got a pretty good discount on it. And man, it was like the coolest thing, but looking back, it was so crappy. 
the Palm Pre was almost my first quote unquote smartphone. Oh yeah, it was. I was so close. Um, but I came up for. Uh, I think I came up for an upgrade or a contract renewal right about the time that Elizabeth and I moved to New York, and we ended up just. We're both on Sprint because the family plan is cheaper. But yeah, I was almost a Palm Pre guy. Palm did some great stuff there for a while. That yeah. OS was was it, really really nice. It was no Newton. It was no Apple Newton. But no, it wasn't an Apple Newton. We yeah. talked about the. Uh, we talked about the Palm Dana for a while. Are you familiar with the Dana? Was uh, uh, the Dana is an Alpha Smart product, isn't it? Maybe. Are, are, are you, are you talking about something with a little keyboard on it? Yeah, that was meant to be typing for kids in schools. If you're going to say something that Mike got incorrect, maybe you stop. Um, the Alpha Smart Dana was a little. Um, it was like a little computer that's kind of like an E-Mate that has a little like black and white display and then a keyboard that's basically just straight word processing. Like a lot of novelists, before laptops are really a big thing, um, a lot of like writers would have one of these. Um, so it was like a Hemingway without the typewriter. It, yeah, it was like a Hemingway that was... A Hemingway. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, that had no... I believe it had no like internet capabilities and... Uh, it was. They still make them. I'm pretty sure. I almost bought one once because um, I loved my e-mate so much. As we have talked about, maybe multiple times. I think multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, if if that's what you're thinking of, it's made by Alpha Smart, but it's super cool. Well, he talked about having one. He may have called it a Palm product. He may not yeah. have. You know what? You know what we should do to find out. What's that? We should listen to the interview. Oh, we should. Yeah, we should go ahead and do that. So. Um, I want to go ahead and I do this at the very beginning of the interview. I want to apologize now. Uh, technology was out to get me today. So Mike and I had to record just he and I without Andy because the hotel Wi-Fi was not doing well. Imagine that. <laughs> Can't believe the hotel Wi-Fi was kind of wonky. And my microphone was acting up a little bit. So I had to record in 360-degree surround sound. So you get a little bit of uh, what I believe he has referred to as ambient noise in the background. So you, it's like you're right there with us. <laughs> you should have it's recorded like, on vinyl. I, I told you. Ah, you told me, and <laughs> I should have. No, so I want to apologize for a little bit of the ambient noise there. I was able to take some of it out in, in post, or at least I say that. I don't know because obviously I haven't done the post processing yet. I'm going to do the best I can to remove it. But it was, uh, it was a great interview. Um, I did mention Andy a couple times. I promise I didn't talk about my ridiculous man crush on him because that would have been really awkward in front of Mike. Um, but we, we got a chance to sit down and talk for a little while, so we're going to go ahead ahead and pipe that in now uh hope you guys enjoy it um and we will be back see you next time yeah see you next time okay bye hey all right so i am here with mike grody the uh, general of the sketchnote army himself we are uh we're in a lobby here at the hotel where he's staying in franklin tennessee getting ready to do a sketchnote workshop at the skillery in nashville so we apologize ahead of time for any audio quality also i need to make sure i continue to face the microphone because i continue to do this and get a little bit quieter um mike how you doing I'm doing good. Good, good. What uh, what brings you to town again? Uh, tell us a little bit more about the workshop you're going to be doing at the Skillery this weekend. Well, so we're doing the workshop. That's the first public workshop that I'm offering, um, teaching basic and some advanced techniques in sketchnoting. To uh, right now, we have 21 students. We just had two people sign up today, and uh, so it's grown bigger than I thought it might have. We still have some spots left, but uh, so we're going to be teaching those basics and some advanced techniques. And we're having a morning and afternoon session. So it's a half-day workshop, and that's the same thing in the morning and the afternoon. 
Cool, cool. Well, so the the public stuff is new. Is there a reason why you decided to start doing public here in Nashville, or it just became uh, it was an opportunity that presented itself, and you decided to jump on it? It was kind of a, a things aligning. So I, I, we actually ran a pilot in Milwaukee back in 2013. So invited eight friends. They came down and we tried a full day workshop to uh, see how that would work out for us, and it went really well. We learned a lot, and we realized after myself doing. Um, single one-hour and two-hour workshops, mini-workshops around the country and around the world, that um, smaller was better. And I felt like a half-day was a really good number of uh, hours for us to focus on the basics and some advanced techniques. Um, And this was the first opportunity to try it. Actually, Matt Ragland, who's a guy here in Nashville, um, recommended the, the city because he knows the area and he thought there would be some interest. It was a big enough city to support uh, something like this. And I thought so as well. I loved Nashville when I was here uh, 10 years ago to visit a buddy of mine. And uh, my brother lives up in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is only about three hours away. So we started, the gears started turning, and we decided, hey, let's visit my brother and his wife and family for a weekend, spend Easter with them, and then hop in the car on Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday morning and roll into Nashville and then have the rest of the week here and then cap it off with the workshop. So we sort of tied a family uh, vacation for spring break, and a visit with my brother and the workshop all into one thing. I like I like uh, multiplying things when I can do that. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to save gas money and make sure that if you're doing a loop trip, you can check more boxes than just I went down, I did a workshop, I came home. Right. Right. Uh, you planning on doing the workshops in any other cities? You have anything else scheduled for public workshops yet? So right now we've got a workshop that's planned for uh, Prague, Czech Republic. It's at the Icon Conference. So I'll be doing the keynote there at the end of April, and a workshop that's uh, the 25th and 26th of April. And then right now, the next one on the radar is uh, Chicago. So I'm in talks with a location um, right in uh, near downtown Chicago, and we just have to work out the details, pick some dates probably in June, uh, and then we'll make that public and, and do the next one. Well, that sounds, uh, that sounds great. If I, uh, if I was in Chicago, which I'm not, obviously I'm in Nashville, but those of you in Chicago, if you're interested in learning more from uh, the sketchnote general himself, that might not be such a bad idea. Um, first of all, or not first of all, but thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Uh, wanted to have a little bit of a chat with you about some of the ways that you balance analog and digital and some of the different tools you use on a regular basis. Um, in addition to doing the sketchnote stuff, you are an author and an illustrator and um, – well, I guess the best way to start this is do you prefer to start on paper and then move to the computer? Are you the kind of guy that looks on the computer for inspiration and then kind of stays there and uses paper as a backup? How do you you start analog, go digital? Do you kind of mix them too evenly? How's the, how's the process start for you? It tends to cross over. I think that I always start uh, on paper, so I'm a little bit old school. I like sketching and writing, and there's sort of a freedom in using a pen and paper that I still don't find in an iPad. I still love using an iPad, of course, and I use it for my presentation so that I can draw on the iPad and it appears on screen. Um, but for the kind of work that I do, if I'm writing or if I'm doing design work or illustrating, all the books that I did all started as uh, sketches on paper. Um, and it's sort of a blend, and I say that because if I'm writing text, so let's say the Sketchnote Handbook and the Sketchnote Workbook, those began as uh, writing adventures. So I sat down with uh, my computer uh, and a really basic word editor, uh, text editor, and just started writing and building the structure. So a lot of times they actually start with writing. So there you might start vid- uh, with digital. Uh, and then at some point I'll start switching over to paper to sketch out the concepts. It's a very similar process to my design process where I get a brief. I take the brief and then I, I flesh it out with sketching because I feel really free to sort of explore things. And then what I come up with in that sketching phase 
actually impacts what I wrote in the text, and it may expand it, it may change it. We can shift and go in different directions, um, and then move back to analog to do inking and so and so forth. And then it gets scanned and brought back into the computer again, and it works either in Photoshop or Illustrator if it's illustration or like my book. Um, that stuff then becomes digital again, uh, and then often it's uh, turned back into analog, so like a printed book, but yet it may also be an ebook. So it's sort of a back and forth. It depends on the mode, and it sort of um, it sort of flows together. So there's not really one way that I do it, and then. Like there's no only analog and no digital. It's really a blended process. How um, how often do you find yourself in the middle of the day or in the middle of another project coming up with an idea? And when that happens, do you find yourself turning to your iPhone to put that idea down? Do you find yourself taking something out of your pocket to write it down or sketch it as a mix of the two? Hmm, that's a good question. I would say it really depends on the context. But for the most part, um, I would use my logbook. So the last year... This year and the year before, 2014, and this year, I followed a, an idea that my friend Austin Cleon has talked about, and that is using a logbook to capture everything you do during the day. Uh, so last year I had a moleskin, a large logbook, basically a date book, and every day I would write something down. And if something came to me, because I was following this practice or this discipline of logging my thoughts, I would often take a page that day, or maybe I'd flip back to a day when I didn't write much, draw a little line underneath whatever I had written, and then do my concepting right there, um, it, just to capture those ideas in a really raw form. And then from there, it could move into a notebook, or it could be uh, written up as text, whatever it was that I was trying to produce. So often, it'll go into a logbook, but there's times when I'm not with my logbook, or the logbook is at my desk or something. And if I do have my phone along, um, I'll use something like uh, ByWord on the on the iPhone and just write some notes and then I'll sync over Dropbox to all my devices so I can come back to the Mac and if I want to expand it and turn it into whatever it's going to turn into just a way to capture that but I prefer drawing and writing by hand over that so I would say if I have an option I would choose to write and draw first and then uh, use the phone second so you said you had a moleskin the last two years. Am I right in remembering, and I could be wrong, or have you switched over to Team Hobonichi as well? Do you, yes. Are you carrying one of those yes. too? I, I just switched to the Hobonichi this year, and I've really been happy with it. I, it's really funny when I, uh, f- when I purchased it and it came in the mail, um, because you had to order it last mm-hmm. the year before, um, I compared it to the large moleskin diary, which is pretty large pages. I thought, how am I going to get used to this small book? Um, and then I'll have to admit, there are a few times when I've thought, you know, I really wish I had more page space like I did in my old Moleskine. But um, for the most part, I've been very pleased with the, the Hobonichi. Uh, the size has been really important. And there's a little tiny story that I have from last September. I was in New York City uh, doing a presentation at an Agile workshop, and I brought all these notebooks along. And the one book that stayed in the hotel that we didn't haul around with us was that logbook because it was so big and so heavy. We had, you know, when I came down to it, what was I going to leave behind? That got left behind, unfortunately. Um, of course, I could write things in it when I came back home, so it wasn't totally useless. But it was interesting. That was uh, one of the selling points when I came to see the Hobonichi. I, I spent some time with uh, Patrick Rohn, and he he was a huge fan. When I saw it, I realized that there could be huge advantages to having a smaller book that I would 
more likely not leave behind. Mm-hmm. And that was my choice to switch to it, and I've been very pleased with it. Yeah, that's actually why I was looking over here to my right earlier. A lot of times I carry mine in my bag. It's actually at home on my desk right now, but uh, I picked one up from Anna Reinhart from Well-Appointed Desk. She has mm-hmm. decided to move away from that and into a different um, a different system this year, so I... Uh, have one that she sold me right around the new year and it stays at home on my desk and I have also picked up a Patrick Grone technique of journaling before I go to bed at night so that's typically when I do my daily page I have the field notes in my back pocket that I carry as my regular word book um, also a byword fan I flip back and forth between byword and editorial are you are you a guy that's back and forth between editors like that on your phone in the Mac or are you typically byword and byword only you know, it's kind of a blend. So lately I've been using Ulysses, and I know Ulysses just got released for the mm-hmm. iPad. I've not purchased that yet. Um, I've been using it for the Mac since late last year, and I quite like the metaphor, sort of the, the layering l- levels mm-hmm. that Ulysses had. And I think when I looked at it when I was writing the book, uh, it had I, maybe I just didn't understand how it worked. And I had the assumption that you had to dump all your stuff into Ulysses and it made a database, when in reality there was that was one option. Uh, but there was actually the ability to read off um, a Dropbox folder because I had been following a Merlin Mann approach of just having a, tech, a folder in my Dropbox that's all my text notes. And that way, whatever device I'm on, I can get to it. So on the iPhone, by word, seems to work pretty well. And um, on, the, on the Mac, I'm typically using either Ulysses or Writer Pro or ByWord. It's sort of a, it depends a little bit on the kind of writing I'm doing. I find that still when I'm writing something from scratch, um, Writer, Writer Pro seemed to work really well for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is, if it's the typeface or the mindset, because I've spent time in that writing books. Uh, when I'm writing notes, um, Ulysses feels more comfortable to me. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. It's funny how just a subtle little difference in what you're doing can have an impact on the tool you choose. And I think that's true even in the analog world of you know choosing between a pen or a pencil or what kind of pen or what kind of mm-hmm. pencil or what kind of book or paper so, I mean, those are all personal things, but they they have an impact. Oh, very much. You know, Andy is a Andy is a is a writer pro guy. Um, I know that's what he's been using on the Mac and on his on his phone when he gets a chance. Um, I unfortunately, as you can see, I'm running the Windows computer, so I, I'm running a mix of Resoft Notes, which is like Envy Alt, only not as cool. Sorry, Brett Terpstra. I'm doing the best I can. So um, I, I do plain text on here, um, and then I have been doing a lot of my composing. Uh, I do the Google Docs because it's just easier. A lot of the a lot of the writing I'm doing is show prep, and it helps for us to be able to collaborate. Um, going back a second, you say between picking pen and pencil, uh, paper and notebooks. Are you a pen guy? Are you a pencil guy? Do you have a preference? I'm, I know you're probably going to say it depends on the job, but if you've got them both sitting here in front of you, uh, are you picking up something like a Blackwing? Are you picking up a fountain pen? Are you a gel pen guy? How do you... I'm not going to ask you to rank them because that's that's really impromptu and off the cuff. That would be a lot to do for one guy at once. What do you uh, do? You have a preference? Yeah, actually, uh, you were right in guessing that it depends on the task at hand. Um, I always carry a Pentel Energel okay. 0.7 pen in my pocket. I chose that because it's got a cap. So for a long time, I carried a G2. And the problem that I was concerned about was if that thing ever got clicked open, mm-hmm. my pants would be ruined, and I couldn't afford that. So um, I started looking around for other pens. I stumbled across the Pentel Energel by accident. I'm, I'm the guy who's at the office supply store, like, gazing intently at all the pens and for, like, an hour, hour and a half. That's all of us. That's Yes. yes 95% of our listeners are those people. Well, it's good to be home. Yes. Um, so I, I just, when I go to the store, I'll look for these new pens because, you know, the pen makers are often making new formulations of ink, new uh, 
form factors. Maybe it existed before, but it was slightly named differently or something. Right. And I happened to see these, and I thought, I'm going to try those. And I think I grabbed a couple of different ones. I was trying some Bic at, at the time, which there's some of those that are nice. But for whatever reason, I really like the deep, rich uh, color of the ink. It seemed like it dried relatively quickly, and it solved the problem of being in my pocket having been capped. So that it was unlikely that it was going to blow up in my pocket, or less likely. Maybe that's right. the right way to say it. So I really like those. I've used those for sketch noting. Um, I was using Uniballs for a while, and I had a bad experience with one, um, and that sort of drove me to try something else. Did it explode on you? No, it's. It was. An, I was in a sketch noting session, and the ball was sort of getting hung up, and I didn't. I didn't have even the backup I had was having issues. Ugh. So um, we uh, that that led me to to focus on trying some other stuff, and I happen to have one of these Energel switched to it and thought, this is great, I'm going to keep using this. So I've sort of had a journey across different pens, and I'm not real pen-specific. I still like the G2, mm-hmm. uh, the Uniball. Um, 207s are really nice. Um, but for whatever reason, I've stuck to this because it uh, fits well and it works really well. I have, I have to tell you, though, I've been exploring um, flares again. So okay. the flare pen, the, you know, the old pen mm-hmm. you used in grade school or whatever, um, there was some laying around, and I just happened to start playing with it. It's like, oh, I remember how much I love these flare pens. And there was something nice about it, using it with the Hobonichi, it didn't bleed through the paper. Mm-hmm. The, the Energel doesn't either. But it had a different feel on paper, and I was kind of enjoying that feel. It's a different experience, a little bit softer. And um, so I, I was jumping back and forth a little bit there. So that would be another one that I quite like. But then um, typically if I'm doing ideation, that's where I'll switch to pencil. There's something about the looseness of using a pencil that's important. And uh, I've been really focusing a lot on using, it's the Retro 51 Stealth Pencil. So it's a flat black barrel. Um, it's a 1.4 millimeter. That's a big old piece of lead. lead. Yes, it's a big piece of lead. It's soft. And what that does, it allows me to sketch on the paper and fill in and do mm-hmm. tones and things. That's real important. Um, and it keeps me loose. So I think... I would say if I were to boil it down to two approaches, one would be if I'm if I'm forcing myself to sketch note or sort of think I'll use a pen. Mm-hmm. If I want to feel a little bit more like I'm in a creative generative mode, I might switch to a pencil. Okay. No, I uh, I, I keep looking over here to my bag, and I'm sorry, but I'm thinking, oh, what what do I have in my pencil box right now? What do I have stuck in my bag? Because when you carry a bag the size that I carry, I have the, this Timbuktu medium custom uh, laptop bag, and it is 95% pens and pencils, I think. The computer fits in there, but it's <laughs> really just a convenient way for me to carry things that I write with or write on. Um we, uh, I too have uh, a, um, we have a mutual respect for that Tomoe River paper that's in the Hobonichi yes. notebook. Yes. Um, do you have uh, are, are you a Rodia guy? Do you have another notebook that you uh, prefer to carry or another type of paper that you prefer to use when you're sketch noting because uh, you're worried about ink bleed or anything like that? So my standard uh, standard book for sketch noting is a uh, Moleskin sketchbook. Okay, um, and it's been that way since the beginning um, because. They have such a nice thick paper. As, mm-hmm. as heavy as I can lay that ink on there, it's not going to bleed through. I've used that for almost all my illustration projects. When I when I sought out uh, large pads of paper that I could use for my book work because mm-hmm. I wanted larger space to work with, um, the criteria was, is it as good as the Moleskin sketchbook paper? And does it feel the same? Does it work the same? Because I was so used to the way that worked with a gel pen and the way mm-hmm. the ink laid and those things, how the pencil lays on it. Um, so that's sort of the gold standard for me. And in the workshops that we, we uh, run, we give away the large version of the Moleskin sketchbooks because of the same reason. It's got really great paper. 
it's a nice looking book and it's uh, it'll hold its shape in a bag getting beat around for quite a while so I've been really impressed with the moleskin they've been friends for several years and um, I've been using it for a long time so I, I still quite like those you, you're going to be putting out another um, another edition of the the sketch note particular moleskin notebooks is that what I saw so that you were asking about whether or not you guys are going to do more notebooks I'm exploring the idea um, moleskin wanted to get a sense of how many people would be interested if we mm-hmm. offered it uh, there was an expense that they put into it we went uh, the story of those we went south by southwest they wanted to do something there and they felt like it would be a good partnership with me um, so they printed, I think, 500 books, and we gave them away two years ago at South By, and they were really well-received. Um, they had a great time at the event, so they got a sense of what South By was like. And uh, we had uh, some of these left. And every time I t- show pictures of that book online, people ask, where can I buy that book? Um, it's nothing really fancy. There's some silkscreen on the cover, and on the inside front cover, there's some basics of sketchnoting. But people seem to really like it, and I think when we collected uh, address uh, ad- information, phone, email addresses, and names, I think there was somewhere between 350, 400 people that seemed interested in it. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge that I face with that is uh, I can run it. Uh, I've got a price from Moleskin to run it. We can reuse the original work, so it's not a lot of rework that needs to be done. They still have the plates and those things to be able to reproduce them. The challenge isn't even the cost because I know that we can sell them. The challenge right now is how do I deal with shipping? Yes. Because shipping is a real pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it can take a lot of time, and you often can't recoup that time in the, the amount that you could charge for it. So right. I wouldn't want to make a book that's so unreasonable that nobody buys it because then you're on the hook with all these books that aren't selling, right? But if you sell them for too little, then you aren't going to recoup all the time or the cost that, it, that you need to make that a profitable venture. So the challenge right now is really hinging on shipping, uh, one of the thoughts I've had is, do we simply ship to the U.S. and ask our international friends to um, you know, come in and use a shipping service to bring it from the U.S. to them? Right. That may be an option. So it's still something I'm mulling over. Um, I'll probably need to sort of look through and see what's the breakdown of the people that are requesting it, what percentage are in the U.S. or Canada or Europe and other places, and uh, maybe maybe a follow-up email with those people to see if they're interested in using some kind of a... Uh, reshipping service um, as an option uh, and you know I still would have to make a decision do I want to spend you know weeks of time packaging these, these things up and sending them out yeah because doing a dozen or so different packages with love is one thing doing 500 or 750 books all at once and being oh I'm my grody I completely have this package it's all for you that's it's, you, you don't you, sketch noting doesn't have a shipping department it's it's you are the shipping department right. so um, we talked about the books a couple of times, and as I was uh, doing a little bit of prep for the interview, doing a little bit more learning about you, I realized that I now know a person who has their own typeface. You have the sketchnote typeface I found for sale in a couple different places. How did that come about? How did, how did you become a man with, a, with his own typeface? <laughs> well, I've always been fascinated with typefaces. I've been a graphic designer um, since the late 80s when I graduated from tech school, and I've always wanted to have a typeface. It never was... You know, in the cards, for a long time, it was just very difficult to do um, and very hard work to do. Uh, do. Building fonts by hand, even with software, is a ton of hard, tedious work. Um, when the book became a reality and I was offered the uh, option to do the book, um, I realized that as a production artist, it would be really nice to have a typeface of my handwriting because I knew there were going to be changes and rewrites, and to rewrite things by hand for anything would be just difficult. Um, and that it would also facilitate 
other language translations if those were ever to come, which it turned out that they were, and it was actually quite helpful. Yeah, how many languages are you guys in now? Because I saw that the I've, I've seen the Chinese books, and I saw that you guys just had the Czech version come out a little while ago. How many languages uh, are the Sketchnote workbook in now? So um, the workbook is in two. Okay, so it's in German. Uh, the workbook and the handbook are in both in German. Uh, there's a Russian version of the handbook. Uh, there's also, again, you mentioned the Chinese and the Czech. So there's four language editions right now. That, that's impressive. I don't know yeah. anyone else that has had a book translated in like that. And I guess it does make more sense for them to for them to have your handwriting. I'm sorry to interrupt you while you were going through that, but it's just you had that uh, you had that opportunity presented, and that was nice. Did you? Is that something you took care of yourself, or did you work with uh, another designer? How did that? How'd that come about? So Peach Pit sort of facilitates that. Okay. Um, they make it available for other countries who wish to invest in doing a translation. They have to bring all their own uh, resources to do it. So they have to have people that are illustrators that can redo any things. Having the typeface was huge, and having multiple different typefaces uh, helped them quite a bit. But there's still a need for someone to run that show. Um, and that's really up to the publisher. They pay um, a, f- a fee to the peach pit mm-hmm. uh, and then we share that fee and then it's sort of out of our hands that's the thing that a lot of people don't know is international versions you sort of give them the rights to do whatever they like it's kind of weird now they can choose to come and seek your help or they can choose not to in the case of the russian edition they had a whole team of people and they translated a lot of the sketch notes the, the writing in the sketch notes to russian and i think the czech version may also be similar so it's quite extensive uh, the German version was less extensive. Um, there's still some English sketch notes. Mm-hmm. We commissioned some new German ones from German fans. So it's kind of a mix. And then, of course, all the text is German. Um, so it really varied. The Chinese one obviously had to be redone completely because you know, even my typeface wouldn't help in that case. Right. So, you know, it really depended on the situation. Um, and, and, you know, the German uh, publisher really sought my help, and I was able to help them find some sketch noters to fill in and do some work. Um, where the Czech and the Russian ones, they sort of ran on their own and, and got everything they needed. And now more in the end, you know, doing promotion for them is what they need and the help they need the most. It's become sort of a tradition when we have our guests on, even though Harry is going to get upset because we didn't ask him to do it when he was here. Um, we're not technically an EDC community. We're very much analog and digital, but I find that there's a lot of people that are interested in both of those communities that do crossover with the EDC or the everyday carry stuff. So it would behoove me since you and I are sitting here in person and mm-hmm. I can I can call you on it if you're lying about anything. Um, what do you have in your pockets today? Well, of course, I've got my wallet, which um, was produced by the Mitchell Leather Company down in Milwaukee. Um, if I was in my, in my hotel room, I'd actually bring out my Mitchell briefcase, which I had custom-made. That includes the Hobonichi in there and uh, a series of pencils and pens, uh, MacBook Air, uh-huh. iPad Mini, uh-huh. uh, all the adapters I need to present with. Um, and I have a, also have a leather case on a field note that I carry, so if I need it, I can grab that thing. And then a series of pencils and pens that are in the, in the holder there. But on, on my person is my, my Mitchell wallet. Uh-huh. Um, I've got my little Bluetooth headset. I, I don't know what brand this is. I use that to listen to podcasts, this little uh, Bluetooth headset. Okay. Um, it's actually not real good for talking on the phone because it sounds like I'm talking through a barrel, but for listening to uh, podcasts, it's perfect. Um, I have an iPhone 5S, which uh, a few months ago I fell on and smashed the glass oh. on and had replaced. So I'm actually happy because I like the size. It's a nice small size. Okay, so you're, you are, you're, so you're firmly committed yeah. to the 5S, the, the, that form factor. You're not a yeah. 6 or a 6 plus. It's gonna, you're staying with the comfortable form factor for a while? Yeah, well, as long as I can afford to because I think at some point in the future it's not going to be an option unless yeah. I want to go 
you know, unlocked or something, which we'll see what happens when that time comes. But The guy that made your pour-over earlier ran the timer for your pour-over on an iPhone 4. Nice. Someone just offered him money for his iPhone 4 last week, he was telling me. He was like, nope, I love this one. I'm very happy to have it. And I was like, I don't know any... My wife had an iPhone 4 until two months ago, and she was not particularly thrilled that she still had one. <laughs> um, you're a Mac guy now. You've got the you got the MacBook upstairs. You have your iPhone here. You have your roots or your start in, in Palm. How did you... How was that transition? Tell me a little bit about how you started out interested in Palm and how you went from – because, I mean, Palm to iPhone is not exactly a, a smooth transition. Was there a point when you were thinking Android? This is going a little more towards the digital side of things. But I'm interested because you were very involved in the Palm community for a long time. How did you how – how did that transition happen? How did you end up from Palm in, in, into Apple? Not completely into Apple because, you know, you could have worked for him. You chose not to. That was a very interesting story in and of itself. We'll put a link to that in the show notes because I, I enjoyed reading that story. As someone who's looking at going self-employed and enjoying the freedom that goes along with that, I really thought it was a, a great story. But tell me a little bit about how you went from being a Palm guy to being an Apple guy. That's an interesting uh, story because there is sort of a break in between. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a Mac guy the whole time. I was a Palm guy. Okay. Um, so I was using uh, – Started with a Mac PowerBook Duo 230. For those uh, old timers who will remember that, it was a thing you could plug in like a VCR into a box, <laughs> or they had these different por- uh, docks that you could plug into. I love that thing. I still have it. Um, in and, case anyone uh, breaks in, it makes a very valuable weapon for, yeah. for a club if need be. Yeah, it's uh, definitely. Uh, it was a great. It was a great tool for the time. Uh, of course, now it would be incredibly slow, and you know, for writing, maybe you could get away with it. So I'd always been a Mac guy, and when the Palm came out, I was really fascinated. I ended up with a. Original Palm Pilot, mm-hmm. um, and then sort of coursed my way through different models. I think the last one I had was a Sony. There was a Visor in there someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was quite a few. I had a Dana. I don't know if you remember this. Okay. There was a device that was a keyboarded iPad or I, that keyboarded Palm device with a wide screen, intended for school kids for typing. I do remember that. Yeah, it was like yeah. a dark blue color. I, mm-hmm. That was actually a great writing machine. Um, so I had one of those for a period of time. Um, I started using the palms because I thought they were really fascinating, and um, I just started sharing information with a few friends, and it turned into this newsletter that eventually became the Palm Tip Sheet, okay. which uh, then eventually became went from a newsletter to a website, um, and I sold it when I just uh, my son was coming, and I just didn't foresee having a lot of time for it, and after doing it for about five years, it just sort of felt like it was running its course. Yeah, it wasn't as fresh as it used to be. Yeah, I just I wanted to write about more things. That's when I switched to blogging. That was two thousand three sold a tip sheet and the people who bought it um, found out it was a lot more work than they realized and they <laughs> abandoned it after I think oh. two or three episodes or uh, issues um, and then after a period of time because I preserved the right to the text I was able to republish it as palmtipsheet.org and put everything back put the archives up so it exists out there but it's I don't know how relevant it is anyway so that's sort of the context for that but so what happened was there was a point in time where I accidentally left my um my pilot fell in the white chair in our front living room under the cushion and I hadn't realized it. I think I'd come back and put my coat up and put it on the mm-hmm. thing and it, bumped, it got bumped and it fell in there and I could not find that thing for the life of me and I wasn't about to go buy another one. Right. And I thought, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to take a little break and I was curious to see could I use an analog device again after having used this device for a long time. Um, and so I got a moleskin and I hand drew like a weekly calendar in the, in the thing um, and it actually worked really well. The only, only thing I missed were, of course, the alerts. There were right. no alerts on paper, so I had to be a little more aware of that. But I, I found it nice a nice, refreshing change to go to this analog, all-analog approach. 
Um, and then, of course, I think it was a month or two later, I f- we were looking, we were cleaning and happened to pull that cushion up and there was the palm. And so I started using it again. But I then started getting back into analog again. Um, and it was not long after that that the iPhone started coming out. I actually didn't switch to an iPhone immediately. I went to a, an iPod Touch and uh, had a like a Virgin mobile phone that I carried as well. So I was a two-part guy. And I'd use the. I started using the iPod Touch as an i, you know, as a pilot replacement because the software was starting to advance, and there was sort of a transition there. And then that led me to eventually get a. I think the 3GS was my first uh-huh. iPhone. I took it with me to Alaska on a, a vacation. Was immediately convinced of its value, and still, again, I was doing sketch noting of the trip at the same time. So it's always been sort of a combination of both. It's never been exclusive. There's always been a little bit of each. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was I was kind of wondering how that came about, and I guess that's when you look back, that becomes one of those moments that you say to yourself, "Okay, why exactly did I transition from this spot to another?" I remember there was one point that I, through some mistake or movement or something, that little pocket that's in the door of your car, mm-hmm. I had a phone fall into that, and it was gone <laughs> for like three weeks, and I was like, "Oh my god, I lost my cell phone." I think I was seventeen, and you don't go home and say, "Hey, Dad, I lost my cell phone." When you're seventeen, you're just like, "Oh no, I left it in my room, or the battery's dead, or something else." And but that's a really that's I, I, I like to think that that's a really interesting impetus for changing over to things. It's not so much that you know it's. It's not a choice to go with one or a choice to go with other. It's almost because you're forced to due to the situation, and then you pick it back up and you go, well, I don't really remember how or why this was so great to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, I pulled a quotation from your site that I really like. It uh, says, I have a passion for simple and usable design solutions. What draws you to being um, – well, first of all, would you consider yourself more of, of a minimalist or is that being over-exaggerated and – uh, along that line, what appeals to you most about um, the simple version as opposed to um, tacking on more usable and useful? And I use you can you can see my mock quotation marks. Um, <laughs> why simple as opposed to something that's got all the bells and whistles? That's an interesting question. So, as for the question of being a minimalist, yeah. I think I would like to be more of a minimalist than I actually am. I've got a house full of stuff, and we've been long this year. We've been especially talking about just going through and. And clearing it out, I think, you know, after you live in a place for a while, it just it can have a tendency to accumulate even with your best intentions. Gathers in the nooks and the crannies and the closets and right. the attics. And with a full family and two kids, I'm sure that there are things everywhere. Yeah, the kids really sort of accelerate the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like having a clean, minimalist uh, structure. I, like when I travel, I think is probably truest to how I would like to be mm-hmm. because I'm forced. You know, there's a limitation on how much I can carry, more or less. Because I'm the one that's got to lug it, right? So, yeah. So you're not going to carry 17 suitcases nope. and a couple of briefcases. If, if you don't have a Sherpa that comes along with you, it's probably not a good idea to pack enough for someone else to carry. And I like simplicity because um, so often we, we sort of convolute and overdo things to solve problems. And I think sometimes when you're sort of forced to, you will f- come up with a solution that's a bit, you know, duct tape and bailing wire. And you sort of have all these things sort of hanging together. But I think... There's something nice about boiling things down to a simpler idea um, that's helpful because it gets you to the action part of it. Like, there's lots less in between the idea and the action. And that actually was a criticism of the Sketchnote Handbook on a few Amazon reviews. They said, well, there's not a lot of content in here. Um, you know, it didn't take me very long to read. And I thought, exactly, that was the whole point of the book. It's heavy on visuals. It gives you lots of samples to see what other people have done. But the idea of 
what you're reading, the, con- the content itself, you should be able to go through that in a day and then do it. Like the idea was that there was action at the end of it, like be inspired, now do it. Right. Um, and I think maybe that's tied into the whole idea of simplicity is the simpler the solution, the better. Like I think a lot of times that's why I'm, I love paper and pen because or pencil because I can sort of make the things that I need. Like if I need to do a checkerboard, you know, I can draw that out or, you know, tic-tac-toe or a lot of times when I do um, things like my book, for instance, I sketched out sort of page layouts to start things off. And then I went to the computer and built um, templates that I could print out based on the idea that I sketched. And then within those templates, then I would do sketching again. It just provided a simple structure that I could work within. So, I think it's just sort of this idea of making things simpler, no simpler. Is that mm-hmm. sort of the... Uh, as simple as it needs to be and no, yeah. no simpler than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question, and it's kind of it's tangentially related to that, but also brings into, into your design work. We look at some of the stuff that happened with uh, material design with Android. You look at some of the stuff that happened when they brought in iOS 7 uh, and some of the redesign there. Do you, uh, in your work as an illustrator, in your work as a designer, see a push more towards um, simplicity in design as well as uh, as well as function because you know we talk about things like IA Rider and Byword and things that are um, if it's fancy you got to go digging for it and if it's complicated you've got to go in and turn those things on as, as opposed to turning them off and design is kind of going that direction too is that something that if, have you noticed things getting simpler or have you noticed things kind of um, still tacking things on for the just for the sake of having it I think it depends on who's doing the the work okay um, I would say that there is a movement towards simpler solutions. I think for technology, there's a reason why that's the case is because people are used to using technology. They're used to the way things should work, Mm -hmm. and there's less of a need to sort of explain things in graphic detail to to users, right? So, and the idea there being lots of people use smartphones now. They're used to the idea of flipping and touching and things happening in this touch sort of Mindset, right? So right. that's where, you know, material design or iOS 7 and 8, sort of this simple, you know, this idea that there's rules about it. Um, in the previous designs, especially on iOS, when there was more of uh, gradients and buttons and all this gratuitous, you know, additional adornment, it sort of almost needed to be because um, people were just not used to this approach, right? You had to clearly mark your buttons and showed separation by gradation and you know i was very heavily into that and eventually had to simplify it which i was happy for because my sense is that that's a better solution Mm -hmm. but i think there was just a path that needed to go it needed to happen first to get to that point okay um so i think that's a good thing and i think there is a movement there but there are still of course people that prefer like nerdy detail and the ability to change every you know spec or or preference and I think there are tools that are still available for those and I think there's even a way that you can hide those things under the hood for those who wish to have them Um, but it really depends on the focus of the product right some products are focused on certain tasks and certain users whereas others are more broadly you know scoped so it really depends on you know what that tool is who it's for and who what the what the intention is of the maker so comparing you know, I writer, they have a very specific opinionated view of what writing is about. Where right. Ulysses, another one that we've mentioned, is much more flexible and there's a lot more features and allows users to produce, you know, styles and things of their own. But those two products have different purposes. So, yeah. you know, it really depends on how you want to approach that. 
can you help me get convince my wife to not use Microsoft Word for everything? Is that a thing you can jump in and help me with? Because that's become, oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, I'm going to knock Microsoft Word. It's just, there's so much. Yeah. She does a lot of writing, um, but she's a, she's a Photoshop person, too. Um, that's neither here nor there. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me. Um, thank you so much for doing everything. If you find out that uh, Mike Rohde is coming to your town to do a sketchnote workshop and you're not signed up, then you're making a mistake. Um, the man does wonderful work. He's good at what he does. Pay him money. Go learn things. Uh, Mike, you, my, Mike, you. Mike, thank you so much for sitting down and, uh, and having a talk with me. Well, thanks a lot, Will. This has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate uh, talking to family. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So that was my interview with Mike. We got a chance to sit down and talk for about 45 minutes today. Again, could not find a nicer person. I hope some of that came across in the interview. Um, this is the first time I've done an interview without you, Andy Welfley. Do you approve? I do. He's super interesting. I, I'm a little jealous I couldn't be in Nashville to do it, but um, I don't think we quite had the budget for an air ticket out there yet. We didn't. And if we did, obviously we'd be paying for you to go to the Atlanta Pen Show in two oh, weeks. Man. We should have just done a Kickstarter. Well, we should have kickstarted you all the way out here. Dot Heck Gritters yeah. would have jumped all over that. Um, <laughs> no, it was he was a great guy to talk to. Uh, I wish that you had been here. He was insistent upon doing it in person, which I think speaks to the the quality of guy that he is. And you know, he like he took time away from his family who travel here with him, and we kind of worked it in before he was going to go uh, have dinner with a friend of his. So it was really great to be able to sit down and talk with him. I feel like I am a better, wiser person having been around that. And I realize that sounds like I'm blowing smoke up but it, i'm really not he was really a great great person to sit down and talk to uh i did fail to ask him what the best way to get in touch with him on the internet was so uh, i will do that now if you wanted to get in touch with him either on twitter or on instagram his handle is the both is the same on both it is at r-o-h-d-e-s-i-g-n which is roadie and design put together in one word, which blew my mind the first time I recognized it. Uh, he's also at roadesign, R-O-H-D-E-S-I-G-N.com. If you want to go and learn a little bit more about sketchnoting or the illustration and design work that he does, um, again, you heard him talk about the process now. If you actually go and see some of the stuff that he's done, um, there will be a link. There's not a link on his website, but there is a link in the show notes to his typeface that they had created for the book, which... Again, and I said it in the interview, I've never known anybody that has had their own typeface. <laughs> I feel like Andy Welfley, that is your new personal goal now that you've had a GIF workflow episode, maybe well, an Andy Welfley typeface. I have the worst handwriting, so maybe not. But I think I do have the sketchnote typeface. Yes. Because I know that there's a, there's a regular and there's a bold and there's a squared version, right? There is, yes. A regular yeah. bold and a squared. And then there's um, like the equivalent of wingdings. Yeah. I think for I, those I, old Windows folks. I'm not sure, but I think... I either have or at one time had it. It's really cool. Um, I like that he was able to reuse it for some of the books in the other languages. Uh, four languages now, which is cool. I know they're looking to try to expand a little bit more. I think he's got a he's got a really good thing going with this uh, this sketch note thing, uh, Andy. I yeah, tell you, absolutely. Might, might have a history, or might have a, a history, might have a future in this. It's it's amazing, uh, just because my mind just did not work like that at all. I'm, I'm so interested to watch him do that. 
Yeah, no, I, I didn't want to because I, you know, you don't want to poo poo on a on a on a guest thing in front of them. I, I couldn't do it. I can't draw at all, and I know that he says you don't have to be able to draw. You just, you know, practice makes perfect on it. And uh, you and I have referred to before the kind of little tiny sketch notes that Patrick Roan was doing in his Hobonichi for a while, and mm-hmm. obviously he was getting a little bit better with them. Um, but yeah, man, I just I. I can draw a cup of coffee and a UFO. There you go. That's all you need. Circles. Yeah. I, I meant to ask you in the uh, the pre-interview. Did Did you learn how to draw the UFOs from Commander Mark? I didn't. Do you know who no. I'm talking about? Who Commander Mark is? No, I know Commander Keen. That was a great computer game that I played for a while, but I don't know Commander Mark. So he was the uh, captain, or I guess the commander of the Imagination Station, which was a kids show on PBS in the '90s, uh, where he would uh, he would draw help like he'd go through and help you draw things, and you could draw like you know he taught you perspective, and he would draw like little alien worlds, and he he would he would draw like he would shade things, and he would he would draw flying saucers. That kind of look like a bowl. There, yeah, he was pretty awesome. So, like a Bob Ross for kids. He was kind of a Bob Ross for kids. Yeah, that's nice. And, and I imagine. Oh, I'm sorry, that's going to be horrible. Um, a Hubble, the uh, Hubble. There we go. There's your space connection, Hubble telescope. I was going to say, I imagine that the Imagination Station went well until the Magic School Bus ran into it. It, it could no. very well be. <laughs> that was a great episode, Magic School Bus. If you don't know what it is, kids, look it up. Miss Frizzle and the and the gang. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you Magic School Bus, right? You know Magic School Bus. I do know Magic School Bus. My, my okay. mother, uh, my mother has always been a little bit like Miss Frizzle. She was a kindergarten teacher, and right. she often will have socks and earrings that match a theme. Nice poofy red hair. Uh, no, not poofy red hair, but uh, oh. yeah. well, maybe that's for the better yeah. because then you could have ended up with poofy red hair. It's true. Maybe now, a, there's maybe a little, little bit more passive aggressive than Miss Frizzle. Well, I can say that because my mother does not listen to this podcast. Oh, somebody's <laughs> going to tell her. Somebody from home is going to tell her that you uh, were. He better not. You were doing that. Yeah, you better be careful with that. We love you, Andy's mom. <laughs> Thank you for bringing Andy into the world and making sure that he was a wonderful person and great enough to be able to make a podcast. Uh, if you want to tell Andy how he shouldn't be saying mean things about his mother on the internet, he's going to tell you how to do that right now. I am. <laughs> Send it to Will Fangy. W I L. My Twitter is uh, A Wellfley, A W E L. F as in Frank, L-E, um, or, uh, I don't know. Um, you can you find can, you at erasable.us. Yeah, erasable.us, woodclinched.com, one of those. Yeah, we'll, he does we'll He me. does all of these things. He's uh, he's a man of many talents and varied interests. <laughs> oh, indefinitely. Uh, how about you? you? How, do, how do people find you? If you wanted to send things to me on the internet to tell me how to work and well, correspond with my parents. First of all, does your mom listen to this podcast? Uh, she does not. My mom does not listen to the podcast either. Does your mom uh, know what a podcast is? Because mine does not. No, neither does mine. Okay. Cool. Um, my dad knows what a podcast is. My dad listens to the podcast every once in a while. Um, all of the all the great shows. All the great shows. The, all the great shows here on the Nerd Uprising Network. Uh, he's the only one that's ever told me that I need to spend less time drinking and cursing before I uh, before I record stuff and things. <laughs> so I've kind of tried to dial that back for him. No, if you wanted to uh, get in touch with me here on the internet, you can do that on Twitter. I'm at Will Fangy, W-I-L-L-F, like the F in Wellfly, A-N-G-U-Y. I'm also at Will Fangy on Instagram. You can tweet at us here at the podcast, at Dot Grid Podcast, that 
bings and bongs and dings at uh, all of the mobile devices that Andy and I have at the same time, and we rush to see who can talk to you the fastest. If you're feeling super, super generous, it would behoove me to say again that we do have a cash tag out there. It's cash.me slash dollar sign nerd uprising. Again, thank you to everyone who's donated up to this point. All of the monies are going directly back into making sure we are producing a wonderful show. I like to think we have a wonderful show, Andy. I like to think that too. I, I think our listeners deserve a wonderful show. Um, so we're going to continue to do this. Uh, I think we're going to sit down again here in a couple of weeks and do it again. Does that sound okay with you? That sounds great to me. Wonderful. Uh, Andy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Everyone else, we will talk to you again soon. Au revoir.